Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join today. He's a speaker, entrepreneur, founder of Follis Marketing Therapy and Big Video, Big Idea Video. It's John Follis. How are you doing today, John? Hey, Alex. I'm doing great. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your Rise to the Challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the game. Talk about where you're from and what did you like to do growing up? Uh, I grew up in Connecticut, even though I spent most of my career in New York City. Um, uh, growing up, I did normal kid stuff. Uh, I love sports. Um, I uh, was really into models, building models when I was a kid. I started out when I was about, I don't know, seven or eight years old and made over a hundred models. Uh, you know, where I lived was kind of in the country. So oftentimes I didn't have playmates to hang out with. So there mm -hmm. was a lot of solo time that I had to figure out what to do. So um, once I, again, maybe that's part of the 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 uh, the creative aspect of my personality. I love the idea that I was building something or creating something. So I really, really got into model building and did that from uh, maybe, you know, seven or eight until I was about uh, 14, 15 years old. And then uh, when I was 13, I, I started taking guitar lessons and really enjoyed the guitar and have been playing ever since. So those are some of the things I enjoyed as a kid. I'm fascinated about the model project that you worked on with doing those projects. Did it kind of give you kind of the entrepreneurial, like where you're able to control what it looks like, what it is and things like that? Well, it wasn't a project, your model kits, you go to a hobby store and you buy a kit and you build it. And when you finish it, you buy another one. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it depends how serious you are and how meticul meticulous you are about uh, the detail work of building these things, then painting them and all that stuff. But uh, I was a perfectionist. And I think what I liked about it was, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, the, the idea of creating something and building mm -hmm. something. So I guess you can make an analogy um, to being an entrepreneur. I mean, that may be a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I guess because um, I, I consider myself a creative person, that may be one reason why I enjoyed the idea of building and creating something. Was there one model kit that was, looking back, your favorite, something that like was impressive that you put together? Um, you know, some models were more ambitious than others. Um, you know, some of them involved, um, batteries and motors and things like that and wires and things like that. Most of them were just plastic parts you glue together, but there were two or three of them that were, uh, more serious and involved, you know, mechanics and electronics. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, a couple of those, there was one battleship that I built where, it actually sailed in a figure eight, you know, if you've got it in water and things moved on it and stuff like that. So I guess that, you know, that was uh, one of my more ambitious models. Was it tough it being in the countryside where you're not around a lot of other people or your friends aren't near you? You might have to drive a distance to get there and things like that. Well, it wasn't that far. Uh, you know, fortunately a bicycle would, would, would connect me with my friends, but um uh, as I mentioned, because it wasn't convenient to connect with friends, um, that's one reason why a lot of the things I did growing up, which didn't just include building models, but, uh, you know, playing with soldiers, a lot of solo stuff, being in the backyard with my toy soldiers or taking a walk in the woods with my BB gun or, 
you know, shooting baskets. We had a basket above our house. So that's, uh, you know, thankfully my dad, you know, turned me on to sports early on. So if there's any downtime, I would just, you know, spend hours shooting baskets in my driveway. And that was fun. So was those, bas- those are some of the things I enjoyed. Was basketball the go-to for you? Basketball was go-to. Um, we had a big front yard um, and I love playing football and we had a pond across the street. So it was like, it was like a multi-sports location. And um, often what I did uh, when I was a little bit older was um, start as soon as I got home from school, I started recruiting my friends to come over because to play basketball, you know, you need a, at least four people mm-hmm. or three other people beside yourself or hockey or football. And I just love those team sports. So I would just get on the phone and start hustling and recruiting my, my, <laughs> my buddies to come over. And they were the ones that had to schlep because they had to come, you know, you know, walk to my place, with t- which took, you know, in you know, some cases, uh, 15 minutes, you know, walking over hills and valleys to get to where I was located. But uh, I just loved organizing games of basketball and touch football and, and hockey. Um, it was great having we had actually three ponds within walking distance from where I live. So I got into hockey pretty early on. I know you're a, ho- a hockey fan. Yes, especially with being in Missouri, hockey, any kind of sports is definitely a go to. Obviously, I'm wearing a baseball uh, pool right. right now, but I love that even if those friends had to come over or make that long trip, was it enjoying for them even to have that experience, all the whole group together, just enjoy and have fun during those times? Oh, yeah. To me, there was nothing more fun than having my buddies come over and organizing a a two-on-two or a three-on-three touch football game or a hockey game or a basketball game. That's that was really, really my passion, but it wasn't easy to do because, like I said, where I lived, there were there were only one or two guys that were, you know, I could consider um, in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and the rest of them were on, you know, over the hill and valley. So, you know, I I think back now, um, I don't think I fully appreciated back then uh, the effort that it took these guys to come over, you know, to to connect with me, and um, I'm really grateful that they did. As you're growing up, did you have anyone that motivated you was an inspiration in your life? Um, you know, my dad was a very supportive, encouraging guy. And uh, so I would have to say the short answer would, would probably be him. Because, uh, you know, he got me into playing the guitar. He asked me what instrument I, I'd like to to learn how to play. And I, I wasn't sure. And at the time, you know, there was a lot of rock and roll music that was big and growing up, you know, that's what you listen to as a kid. So I, I mentioned guitar and a week and a half later, he walked in the door with a used guitar and said, you're starting lessons next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, he was always, you know, he would always throw the baseball with me or shoot basketball with me. I mean, he he. He was on the basketball team in high school, so he was always sports-minded. And we were not far from New York City. We're about an hour and a half, maybe two hours away. So uh, he would take me in to see Yankee games and things like that. I actually got to see – I mean, I'm dating myself, but I actually got to see Muhammad Ali fight Joe Frazier, if you know who those guys are. 
That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I mean, to be at that event. Yes. You know, was just amazing. I was 15 years old at the time. So, um, you know, he was, he was really cool about that, but, uh, you know, he, and you know, when I wanted to, if I wanted to do a lemonade, lemonade stand or, you know, anything entrepreneurial, he was an entrepreneur. He was in his own bit of my, a family business. So, um, you know, he was, he was just a very supportive, encouraging guy. I, I was in the Cub Scouts and he was a den leader. So that just shows you an idea that he wasn't, you know, unlike many fathers of people, maybe that you've spoken to on this podcast, um, even though he worked a lot, he was in his own business and he would always work on Saturdays and come home late. So he may not have been around uh, the way uh, someone who worked nine to five would have been. But when he was around, he he was an active part of my life. And, you know, to sacrifice his free time to become a, a, a Cub Scout, a den leader, you know, I thought was was pretty impressive. Was that something you took to heart where you saw the hustle that he wanted to do to be able to provide for the family, but he had to make those sacrifices to work those long hours, work on the weekends and may not be there for certain events in your life? I'm sure it did subconsciously. I, you know, it, it, you know, how could it not have uh, mm-hmm. because he was my father and that was his lifestyle and the conversations around the dinner table happened to be about his clients and his business dealings often. So I was exposed to that uh, throughout my childhood and that I'm sure that maybe on a more subconscious level had something to do uh, with uh, the direction that I ended up going in my career. I can definitely relate to that. When I was younger, my dad was a paramedic. So there are hours that they're working three days in, two days off, those kind of long hours. And my dad had to make that big decision to stop doing that because he didn't want to risk not spending time with me. So he knew that he maybe had to change his course of what he needed to do as a career to make the sacrifices to spend more time with me. And I always viewed that as something admirable because life's short and you don't want to risk those times not being with loved ones or family members and things like that. Yeah. I mean, not all fathers, um, for whatever reason, seem to enjoy their family and spending time with them. They'd rather be out drinking or gambling or whatever they they, they want to do. But um, I always got the feeling from my my dad that he enjoyed mm-hmm. our you know being a family guy. Sometimes we're asked, "What's that dream job of ours? What was that dream job you were wanting to do when you were younger?" Didn't have one. Okay. I mean, uh, other than maybe wanting to be a Beatle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping it's the musician Beatle, not the bug Beatle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I date myself. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I, the, the interpretation of that for those who may be younger would be to be a rock star. Mm-hmm. But, that I can't even say that quite honestly. I mean, I loved rock and roll music. Um, I loved learning how to play the guitar, but there was, it wasn't like that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I really had no idea, no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. And that carried on halfway through college. Talk about that experience. What were you going for when you entered college? Uh, To answer that question 
to figure out, hopefully through the courses that I took at initially a, a good, a decent liberal arts college, that something would speak to me. Mm-hmm. You know, by taking a variety of these classes that I had never been exposed to, like psychology or business or whatever, and and nothing did. Uh, I knew what I was good at, and what I was good at was art because my mom was an art teacher. Okay. So so growing up at a at a very early age, we were kind of her students essentially, <laughs> and so you know we had we had an in house uh, art instructor, and I I was really able to develop my art. art artistic talent, but never uh, really thought uh, that that would be a means to toward a career. Mm-hmm. I had no aspiration to be a painter or a um, illustrator or anything like that. I just happened to be really good at art. So at the liberal uh, uh, liberal arts college that I was attending, I think they had one des- graphic design class. That, of course, I took and I was doing pretty well in it. And about halfway through that class, the instructor pulled me aside and said, listen, um, you are super talented. Do you know what you want to do when you grow up? What have you thought about a career? And I I told her that I, I really hadn't. She said, well, let me can I give you some advice? She said, you are super, super talented and um, I, I don't know. I'm not saying what career you should pursue, but. What I'm saying is that um, it should be something that allows you to d- develop your creative talents. Mm-hmm. And this this is probably not the school for you to be at. Um, you should find a school that has more uh, of a variety, uh, whether it be um, uh, advertising or marketing or filmmaking or writing or um, illustration or um industrial design or fashion design or sports photography or something that you could like explore your creative side. And, you know, thankfully that uh, was great advice because the school that she mentioned to me was Syracuse university, which happened to have many uh, top programs in the country and, and and many things. And you may be familiar. One of the best programs is uh, sports broadcasting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew that Marv Albert went there. Um, uh, I, I can't think. There's a few other guys right now that you would know that 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 went there um, for the sports casting. But they also had one of the top ten advertising programs in the country. So that's what uh, how I got into advertising. But even then, I wasn't sure. I was talking to someone who I thought was some kind of a, a, a guidance counselor. And he uh, took my course card and filled it out with all advertising classes. And I said, well, wait a second. I don't, this is all advertising. I I never took an advertising class in my life. I'm not sure that that's what I want to do. He said, listen, kid, if you're creative and you want to make money, you go into advertising. Now, you know, take this card and, you know, have that woman sign you up. And that's, that's how I ended up going in that direction. But I have to say the first, the first class that I took, uh, uh, like an advertising 101, whatever it was called, I did not get along with the instructor at all. So it was kind of like the total opposite experience of of the other instructor who pulled me aside and said I was really talented. What this instructor did was uh, he, they, he also pulled me aside, but instead of saying I'm super talented, he said, basically, you suck at this. Oh. And he said, do not go into advertising. Oh, my God. 
I can't believe a teacher said that. <laughs> um, he, he didn't use the words, you suck. What he said to me was, listen, kid, um, there are three weeks to go in this course, and clearly you don't know what you're doing. Oh, so, wow. I'm gonna, so I'm going to give you a choice. You can either try to stick it out for the last three weeks and, and take the grade that I'm going to give you. But right now, your average is like a C minus or D plus, And um, you are not going to be happy with the grade that I'm going to give you. Or you can just drop the class and get an incomplete. That's that's a choice I'm going to give you. And to me, that wasn't really much of a choice because I am not a quitter. I've never been a quitter. And um, I never worked harder for a class in my life than I did for this class. And I just could not understand why my grades started out mediocre and and went downhill uh, from there to the point where I was, you know, getting D's. I'd never gotten a D close to a D for anything related to art or design or creativity in my life. I would get, I even got A minuses when I was a kid in any art related class. So I didn't understand. Uh, All I knew was I thought the teacher was an asshole. (laughs) And so um, when he gave me, you know, in retrospect, I'm kind of grateful that he gave me that option because um, I didn't want to go back to my dad and tell him I flunked my first advertising course which was my major um so i ended up dropping it and as i uh yeah i said can i think about it he said yeah you got 24 hours let me know what you want to do tomorrow as i walked out the door he said one more thing he said do not go into advertising (laughs) and now look at you (laughs) and so you know when i was invited to the white house to be honored for an advertising campaign that I did that uh, the NBA had sponsored and put um, $5 million worth of their media time behind. And uh, it it was so effective. It was a a public service campaign for child abuse prevention. Uh, And that's the reason I was acknowledged at the white house because it was so effective. Um, You know, I, I feel like uh, I, I kind of felt vindicated I mean, that's a, it's so good that you kept with it and having that result of going to the white house and looking back at that experience where that teacher said, you shouldn't get into that industry. And you've been able to kind of rise the challenge and prove to yourself that you can do that. And also, you know, when, when a few of these, I know you (laughs) who are listening, can't see what I'm doing, but I'm pointing to my the mantle over my fireplace, which is filled with gold and silver awards. So, you know, I, I, I won in uh, one, one, my third year after starting my agency, I co-founded an agency in New York on Madison Avenue. And within three years, we were the second most award-winning agency in New York. And there's something wow. like uh, you know, 1,237 agencies in New York. And to be the second most award-winning agency. And I think they were at the time, I think they were five of us, you know, that were at, at my agency. That was, it was quite an accomplishment. Something that your story talks about is overcoming challenges, especially in the workforce. Talk about those experiences and how did you get to where you became an entrepreneur and started your own company? Well, um, I think I sent you this when I when I initially contacted you, but you didn't mention it in the uh, intro. Um, 
my first years in advertising were very um, demoralizing, shall we say, because um, I got fired four times in the first eight years in the business. And that's a lot. I mean, people in the advertising industry do get fired more often than most people. In fact, there's a saying in, in the ad business that if you haven't been fired at least once, you can't be any good. Oh. Um, so, um, you know, that just speaks to the fact that when an agency can lose a major account, you know, that mm. bills a few million dollars and they've got to cut staff to compensate for that. So it's not uncommon. And often it's not the fault of any of the people that get get fired. Um, but four times in eight years is a lot. Yeah. And uh, it was hard, hard not to, you know, after getting fired those third and fourth times, it was hard not to reflect back on the comment that that college instructor made to me and think that maybe I did make, pick the wrong career. Um, but I um, had enough success with some of the agencies I did not get fired from to really um, still believe that I had the talent to be successful. And I think that that deep down um, belief in my talent uh, and enabled me not to give up, uh, number one. But also, I'm I, I, I tend to be defiant. Um, so uh, I think that's probably a trait of most successful entrepreneurs is that, uh, you know, when they get get knocked down, that they have the ability to um, get back up and keep fighting and maybe even harder. You know, yep. And that's kind of I I felt because I didn't really feel like I ever did anything to deserve getting fired. Uh, two of the times I got fired, um, I uh happened when uh at agencies where the guy that brought me in and hired me left within a few weeks after bringing me in, uh, which is not an automatic death sentence. But when the guy that hired you is no longer at the agency, it mm -hmm. does make you vulnerable, especially uh, in a very uh, highly political environment like that. If you're familiar with the TV show Survivor, yep. it, it, it's kind of like that where, you know, they have teams of people kind of actually working against each other, working on the same account to solve the same problem. And anything that any of the other um people who are competing on the assignment can do to undermine their competition. They will do it. They will stab you in the back at the drop of a hat. And this is New York city. So this is hardball. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is, this is the big city. This is the big time, you know, which is, which is one reason why I was in, in, intimidated. I did not go to New York immediately after college. I am not a city guy. And uh, I was, I, I feared that um, I, I really wasn't ready to New York for New York. And I, I, even when I, I moved there, I did have a, a, a concern that I would get my ass kicked because there's no city in this country more aggressive than New York. Mm -hmm. And I, my personality, uh, even though I kind of, I started out in Atlanta, I worked uh, three years in Chicago. So I kind of, I developed a, a bit of a thicker skin when you work in Chicago a few years, but still it's not the same as uh, working in the big time, uh, uh, in New York, it's like really the big leagues there, even from Chicago to New York is a big leap. So I always had this concern that I would just get my ass kicked. And I essentially I did. And it was just a matter of just not giving up and, uh, you know, just continuing to figure out what I need to do to, you know, keep paying the rent. 
There's a lot of industries that are big in New York. You have Broadway, fashion, sometimes real estate, man, business, and things like finance. that. Yeah, finance. finance, where it's a cutthroat business. Do you feel as yourself in the ad space and advertisement that being in New York made you become a better advertisement kind of individual where you got to see the ins and out of something bigger than if you went to a different state where you talked about other areas, but New York being the Mecca of, of course. advertisement. Yeah, of course. You know, it's just like, if you're in the film industry, you're going to go to California. You don't want to be working in Topeka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> You know, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, listen, there's a lot of other big cities that have a, a, a film industry presence, yep. but it's not L.A. It's not Hollywood. So, you know, if you're in one of those industries where you want to be at the, the top of your, your game, you go you go to where the competition is the toughest and you either sink or swim. So um, I. um Again, like I said, I felt like I had to work my way up to it, but I didn't want to look back at on my career, uh, not having gone to New York and wondered what it would have been like mm-hmm. going to New York and 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 thinking back, gee, I you know I wish I had the balls to go to New York. And uh, again, I, I I wasn't sure. I had no false assumptions that I could be a success in New York. I just wanted to see if I could, when I moved there, I just wanted to see if I could get a job. And that wasn't easy. I mean, I I did pretty well in Chicago and I said, you know, my portfolio was looking pretty good. And I said, oh, this I'll get a job, you know, easy in New York. And, uh, you know, seven months later and, uh, you know, 53 interviews later with no job offers, I started scratching my my head saying, what do I got to do to get a job in this city? I think a lot of people can relate to that in definitely the last few years where they go through, I, even my friends, they go through so many interviews and they don't get anything. And it's one of those where sometimes now it's, you have to know someone or you have to outbeat the other people where I came from a sports management background or degree and being in sports, you got to start at the very bottom. But I always viewed myself as someone more creative. I don't want to start at ticket sales because I feel like I could offer a lot more. Right. But when you go up into those different departments, if someone knows someone, well, you're definitely cut. Like you're not going to get in because that person's advice on that individual has better odds. So I kind of came up with the idea of going around, try to develop more skills, more ideas, maybe expand what I want to do. And I got into the lottery business, casinos, sports betting, now I'm in more customer service base, and I think it's helped him become a better employee and a better individual because I didn't go straight to the bottom. I've worked my way up to where I'm at today. Yeah. Well, after going on several dozen interviews and not getting any job offers, I s- started hearing a couple of the uh, people tell me I need to um, improve my work. In in my industry, um, you have a portfolio. You show mm-hmm. your work. You show your ads, and that's how you get hired as a creative person, art director, or writer. And um, one guy said, "Listen, John, your work is okay, but if you want to get a job in this city, you got to be you got to be a couple notches above where you're at." So mm-hmm. I, I I you may not want to hear this, but 
you might consider um, taking taking some classes, uh, even if they're night classes at School of Visual Arts or Parsons or FIT or any of the top advertising schools in New York City. And that's not what I wanted to hear. I bet at that point I'd been in the business, I think, six or seven years and thought I was done with taking college classes, but I wasn't getting any job offers. So this is a funny story. Um, I, 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 when I started hearing that, I, my response was, okay, so what class should I take? It's, you know, what school should I go to and whose class should I take at that school? And I got the name of a, a lot of the, the, the classes were taught by working professionals in advertising. You know, these were, these were, these were top advertising people who were teaching at night. And I, I was told which class and, uh, and which instructor I should take. Uh, I figured out how to contact him. And I said, I want to sign up for your class. And he said, great. Um, why don't you send over your portfolio so I could look at it? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, we don't take everyone. <laughs> <laughs> what a class. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah, you know, we, I want to take a look at your portfolio. Now, that may have been in retrospect. I think that was kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, I, I, um, he he ran he ran uh, he, he he was a, a partner in an ad agency. And I think he 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 just wanted to. One of the reasons he taught one of the reasons why a lot of uh working professionals taught is because that's how they could find talent. Mm -hmm. And um, so um, uh, he told me that the, the price of, of admission into his class was to have him approve my portfolio. So I, I really wasn't in a position to argue that. And I sent I went up to his agency and met with him and showed him my portfolio. And the guy offered me a job. <laughs> Never took his class. Wow. So it's kind of crazy the way things happen sometimes. I mean, it was a crappy job, but it was a job. <laughs> yep. You mentioned one of the campaigns that you did, but is there another memorable campaign that you've worked on in your career? Sure. Um, the agents, the campaign that really enabled my partner and I to start our ad agency uh we um my so once again i was the creative director both mm -hmm. uh my skills are both writing and art direction and my partner was an account executive who had a media background but his 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 expertise really was business development he was an amazing business development guy and he could sniff out new business like you wouldn't believe so um he and I met when we were both in our early thirties and uh, he was very impressed with my portfolio. He, he said to me, uh, we met for a beer in about 20 minutes into the conversation after he looked at my, my work, he said, I really think we could start an ad agency together to which I replied, um, what's your name again? <laughs> and uh, so I said, you know, we, we, agree I agreed, you know, I, Listen, at the time I was freelancing. So to have someone else acting as my agent, basically walking around town with my portfolio, trying to get not just agencies to hire us, but, you know, clients that had their own budgets to me was kind of a cool concept. Mm -hmm. So I said, OK, well, you know, I'll give you a copy of my portfolio. 
uh, see what you can do. And if we get some business and, uh, you know, then we could, you know, talk about uh, taking it to another level and maybe, you know, starting an agency possibly. And so nothing really happened for the first six months. And then uh, he said we had an opportunity to pitch an account that he said was a real long shot, but the, the, the account actually had some money to spend. They wanted to spend about close to half a million dollars on a, on a TV commercial. And I'm talking, this was 35 years ago. So, so that half a million dollars now would be probably closer to a million dollars. Um, and he said, there's, you know, the, 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 he said, I had a conversation with the president of the company and I, told him that we were the most creative agency in New York. I said, you said that? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, aren't we? I said, absolutely. <laughs> and they were based in New Jersey. And he said, uh, he, he said, he wouldn't tell me exactly, but he did tell me there are several other agencies pitching the account. And, and when I'm talking other agencies, I mean, these were real advertising agencies. We were just two guys, you know, who, who barely knew each other working out of our apartment. So we weren't mm-hmm. really an agency, but um, you're all on the even on uh, uh, on uh, e- even ground when you're presenting work. It really comes down to who presents the most compelling idea for a TV spot. Yep. So at that point, I felt like despite the fact we were just a couple of guys, I felt I really believed that no one no one's creative work was better than what I could come up with. And we pitched the, the work and we got it. And it was a real kick ass campaign. And it was so successful uh, so quickly that uh, his initial media buy was three hundred and fifty K. But after the first month, uh he saw sales going up so quickly. Uh, he, he, sales increased 90% the first month wow. that he ran the commercial, which is un, unbelievable that he uh, found another half a million dollars, another, uh, you know, 500 K. So it was actually more than his initial media buy. And he put that, and we were, we make, you know, how agencies make their money is a commission on the media. Mm-hmm. So when he just throws another half a million dollars there, that's, that's, uh, whatever 15% of half a million dollars goes right to right, right in our pockets for, you know, planning and buying the media. So that was enough funding to enable us to um, pay, you know, pay rent on Madison Avenue and, you know, get some tables and chairs and computers and stuff. And, uh, and the, the, the account ended up being so successful. Not only did we get a lot of press, we were actually interviewed on uh, CNBC live on their business channel, which was kind of a trip when you have these robotic cameras and you're being interviewed live. It's kind of, it's kind of a freaky experience. Um, and then it also became a Harvard business case study. So it was hard, taught at the Harvard business school because wow. it was so successful. So um that's that certainly was uh, one of the most memorable campaigns. Looking at your journey in the advertisement space, what has been the challenging part that has helped you grow as a person? Hmm. I guess dealing with all the rejections, really. Um, you know, it's you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That whole mantra <laughs> thing, right? Yep. 
So it it really, I think it really tested my my uh, confidence and my commitment as well. You know, um, and um, listen, even when I co-founded this agency, which became very successful, um, my my partner wasn't the most uh, trustworthy fellow, shall we say. And uh, even though we had a lot of success together, I realized very soon after meeting him that if we ever went into business together, uh, it would probably not be a long term experience. And, you know, that was that was. um, Yeah, I wish I wish I didn't feel that way about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just knew that his skills complemented me, uh, mine a lot. And I knew that I hoped and believed that we would be very successful. Uh, and I, I hoped it would work out long-term, but my gut was telling me that it probably wouldn't. And then, you know, I would, I would, I would get a lot out of the partnership, you know, in a few years and then eventually have to figure out what my next, next step would be. And that was difficult because um, in many ways, that was the hardest thing I did because the time I, I left the agency, we were still one of the top agencies in New York Mm -hmm. Uh, but he was, he was breaching the contract and I finally had to, you know, I, he, he wouldn't want to, he didn't want to talk about it. I just tried to, uh, as uh, in a partner, in a, uh, partnerly way, is that such a word in a friendly (laughs) way, uh, want, you know, felt like I had to, there were some things that we needed to address that were concerned, current concerns of mine. And he just, he didn't want to hear it. So unfortunately, he he forced me to do something I really did not want to do, which was, you know, sue him, (laughs) basically, you know, hire a lawyer and send him, you know, uh, you know, a statement says, you know, this is our contract and you are not following the terms of our contract. We need to discuss this. And uh, when I had a lawyer, you know, uh, when I said that to him with the help of a lawyer, then he had his lawyer and. You know, that was um, nine months of legal fees, which was really unfortunate because we we really sh- didn't need to spend or shouldn't have had to, I should say, should not have had to have gone that far and um, spent ninety thousand dollars in legal fees. And this, is, again, was I'm talking 30 years ago that we did this so that ninety thousand dollars today would be one hundred and fifty K that was out of our pockets that, you know, had he been willing to to discuss it with me. But listen, you know, stuff like this happens all the time. And when the New York Times uh, business uh, columnist asked me why I left, I just said, you know, it's philosophical differences and stuff like this happens all the time in partnerships. This is nothing new. But uh, the challenging part at, at that point was um, going out on my own because um, uh, I had to figure out how to get new business. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of things really well, but I certainly didn't consider myself a uh, an ace new business guy like my partner was. And uh, so that started me on a, on a whole different path of trying to figure out how to um, pay my rent in New York City. There was enough business that allowed me to go for maybe a year, year and a half with some part of the buyout was splitting up some of the clients so I, I did have enough business to last me for maybe a year on my own. But after that, the question was, do I uh, can I can I continue as a as an entrepreneur? 
or do I have to like go back and actually take a job again? Looking at your career so far, is there a campaign or a style that you haven't done that you hope to do in your future? No. You've done it all, would you say? I can't once I had done it all, but when you say a campaign or a style, uh, no. I mean, I, I had a very long career. You know, right? Listen, right now, just just for the sake of your listeners, I'm one of the things I I love doing is uh, talking about entrepreneurship and overcoming challenges and uh, anything that I could say that might encourage someone or maybe inspire anyone. I love doing that. So me talking to you and answering these questions is kind of what the place I ho always hoped to get when I started my career, where I have would have the luxury of, of doing just the things that I, I consider fun mm -hmm. and, and maybe in, in some way actually um, giving back, you know. Uh, I always got did a lot of public service work, so I always believed in the concept of, of, of public service and, and applying my skills and talents toward uh, helping other people. So I don't know if I would call this exactly public service, but um, I, I love doing this stuff like this. But the point is that uh, I don't really feel like there's anything that I um, – I didn't achieve or didn't accomplish. I think I probably worked on more styles of campaigns. I mean, I've sold everything from infant anal thermometers to God. So one of my clients for 14 years was a church. And in essence, it was like selling God. And mm -hmm. another uh, freelance project was infant anal thermometers. So, I mean, I, that kind of, I think that runs the gamut when it comes to, uh, <laughs> products yep. to sell looking at the future what do you hope to accomplish personally we talked about your professional life but personally what do you want to accomplish hmm that's that's a great question um i think it i i've personally um have a really successful uh partnership with my girlfriend you know uh i i've i've um during most of my career i've been single and kind of put all my energy into my career and maybe that's one of the things that enabled me to do a lot of the things because i i unlike many people i didn't have i mean i was married briefly but i i i didn't have a family mm -hmm. to take care of so um, and not, I'm not saying that I, I want a family right now, but, you know, one of the things that, that gives me a lot of, um, that's, that really enriches my life is the partnership I have with my, my girlfriend of 12 years. And so that's very important to me that that continues to go well, because I think it's, it's great if you can find someone that you're compatible with and that you can kind of grow old with. Yep. Um. I, I think that's rare. Um, and sometimes it takes a couple of tries to get that right, you know, maybe even more. Um, so I put value in that, but uh, I, I love um, doing stuff that helps people and tries to make the world a better place. So uh, even though I'm not active with my business, um, I, tr I always, I've always made time to do volunteer work, give mm -hmm. back. Um, and like I said, doing these podcasts to me, this is fun. 
Um, I uh, I love speaking. I love talking about these things. I love inspiring people. So I'd love to continue doing this. I love, um, you know, there's so many people that are really struggling with your career, with their career. And at the beginning of this, this interview, um, Alex, I mentioned to you that I wasn't sure that I had anything that was any, you know, special, especially compared to some of the other people that you've interviewed. And you said to me, well, there's so many people that are struggling with their careers and maybe they've been fired once or twice and are really kind of questioning themselves. And the fact that not only did you get fired four times and still, uh, and you know, and a continue on in your industry, you, you had one of the top agencies in New York in a very competitive industry and probably the most competitive city in the country. And you've had all these honors. You've been honored at the white house and, uh, uh, I actually was honored at the United Nations as well for a similar uh, child abuse prevention campaign. So you said to me, you know, stories like that really um, are great inspirations to other people. And to me, that just there's nothing better than to be able to inspire people with my own story. 100% agree. I think everyone has a unique story in how they rise to the challenge. And that's what makes what I do special is because not what every guess is different. No one has had the same story, the same outline, the same look. Even with my story of being a diabetic and I interview other diabetics, each one of us have a different way we got diagnosed and how we lived our lives. And that's what I love is to learn about people's stories. And I think that's why I said about yours is people are going to be able to relate. They may not have done it similar but they might've had the similar outcomes. And that leads me to my final question for you. For someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? So um, I thought you might ask me this question. (laughs) Uh, You know, I did my due diligence and listened to a couple of your podcasts because I didn't want to be, um, uh um dumbfounded with with that question um when i was in high school uh i don't know what it's like now but when i was in high school you had to in your yearbook you had to have your quote yep do they i assume they still do that now i don't yeah. know and um my quote in high school was where there's a will there's a way and you know, a lot of my, my high school buddies were, you know, buggy were, were kidding me. Oh my God, where there's a well, will there's a way, give me a break. That is so (laughs) fucking corny, you know, but I have to say, um, I don't think there's any, uh, anything truer, more true that I could, I could share with, Mm -hmm. uh, with anyone that if you uh, are really determined, whatever it may be that your goal is, if you're, determined to achieve it, I really do believe that it really just takes the desire to achieve it. And it may not be the way that you initially thought you would go or the path that you initially thought you would take. It certainly wasn't for me, but if, if you, if you don't give up and you really believe it's a worthy goal and you're committed to it, I, I don't think there's any better mantra than that. 
Well, John, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Well, Alex, uh, again, thanks for having me on the show. And I think it's a great theme for a podcast. I think, uh, Hopefully you're you're inspiring and motivating a lot of people by by continuing your your podcast. So, you know, continue doing it. Good luck with it. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.